skeptical it's worth it. Uh, on April 11, 1945, in expectation of liberation, the starved, emaciated prisoners stormed the watchtower, seizing control of, of, of the Buchenwald camp. Later that afternoon, the U.S. forces entered Buchenwald. Soldiers from the 6th Armored Division, part of the 3rd Army, found more than 21,000 people in the camp. So I thought about the prisoners of Buchenwald who never dreamt they would be given a second chance. They didn't know if they would survive that day, let alone what they would ultimately uh, find in life. Of course, when they were imprisoned in the camps, they couldn't observe any of the holidays. There was nothing. Rosh Hashanah, we hear about the hidden shofar. Yom Kippur, we heard about those who tried to make something of it, sing some of the tunes, fast for a moment. They fasted every day that they need to fast Yom Kippur. About Pesach, and Pesach had only ended a few days before the liberation. And they'd gone through Pesach with no matzah, no maror, no seder, no haggadah. They never imagined celebrating a transition from slavery to freedom again. Now this Shabbat, we all read the parsha of Emor. The bulk of this parasha deals with the reading for the holidays. We read much of the parasha of Emor multiple times during the year. We read it on the second day of Pesach, of Passover. We read it on the first and second day of Sukkot. <clears throat> so this, 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 this parasha of Emor talks about the holidays. One holiday it doesn't talk about is a holiday that falls out tomorrow night and Friday. Friday is the holiday of Pesach Sheni. We have in the Torah, and it says, So we talk about what happened. There were a number of people, this is a year after the Exodus. So they leave Exodus. They leave. They leave Egypt during Passover. Seven a week later, they cross the sea. Seven weeks later, they get the Torah. Forty days later, they're worshiping the calf. Eighty days later, Moshe comes down with the second set of luchot, and then uh, the next day, the day after Yom Kippur, they begin to build the Mishkan. The Mishkan is dedicated on the next Nisan. And two weeks after that, we have Pesach, the first Pesach that they celebrated, which was a Pesach in anniversary of the Pesach of leaving Egypt. Now, there were some people who couldn't celebrate that Pesach, so they come to Moshe and they complain. And they said to Moshe, Moshe, we couldn't celebrate Pesach. What should we do? <clears throat> now, the Midrash tells us that Pesach Sheni, a second Pesach, was always planned by Hashem. We have the story in the Chumash. Moshe and Aharon are sitting and they're studying Torah. The Midrash is clear. They're sitting and studying Torah. And the people come to Moshe and they say to Moshe and Aharon, why should we lose out? We were Tamer. Why should we be forbidden from joining? Why do we need to know, the rabbis asked, that Moshe and Aharon are sitting and studying in the Bet Midrash? And what could we do? What could we do? So they missed the holiday. They missed the holiday. Says the Gemara, Moshe took out his cell phone and he dialed, beep, 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 1 800 Almighty. He doesn't know what to do. He's going to ask Hashem. Hashem says, okay, second chance, 
14th of Iyar, again, that's this Friday, they can slaughter, and then they could slaughter the Pesach, the Paschal lamb, and that night they should sit and eat the lamb together with Matzah and Maror. Now the question is, how do they not know what to do? Although Moshe is in heaven for 40 days and 40 nights, and he went back up for another uh, 40 or 80 days and nights, and the rabbis tell us they learned everything that would ever be taught. He's sitting with Hashem. His brain, so to say, is plugged in. It's plugged into the heavenly hard drive. It says, for some reason, we come to Pesach Sheni and Hashem skips it. I'm not going to tell Moshe about it. Why doesn't Hashem tell Moshe about it? Why doesn't he mention it? Obviously, Hashem knew in advance what was going to be. Obviously, there had to be a possibility of people missing Pesach. It's compounded because the Midrash tells us that Pesach Sheni was always planned to happen. So if it was always planned to happen, why hide it from Moshe Rabbeinu? Why didn't Moshe know? And again, why emphasize that Moshe and Aharon are sitting studying while the people stood? Why wouldn't Moshe simply respond and say, Sorry folks, you missed. Next year. That's it. Why even think there should be a chance to make up? All other Jewish holidays, you miss, you miss. Somebody slept through Rosh Hashanah, didn't hear the shofar. Sorry, Charlie, come back next year. Someone couldn't get a, a, a lulav or he was in a country with no sukkah for sukkot. There's no come home and I'll build a sukkah a month later. When the middle of the Omer, one of the things in this penashah talks about, you count the Omer. What happens? If I'm in the Omer and I miss one day of counting, with the, one day of counting, I don't continue with the bracha. So why should I think that of all the mitzvot that I have, this mitzvah of Pesach should be different? It's another day. Sorry. Why does Moshe even consider their request? Why does he even ask Hashem the question? And then the question comes, and if we say it's okay, and say, okay, you know what, boys? You missed it. You were far away. You were Tamer. Something came up. Your donkey had a flat tire. What are we going to do? You were on the road. You couldn't get there. If you're going to tell me that, so what if I miss the second? What if on the 14th of Iyar, what if this Friday, I also can't get there? I'm in quarantine. I got stuck in quarantine from last to this. Maybe next, maybe God willing, out on 14th of Sivan, we're not going to be in quarantine. So maybe on the 14th of Sivan, maybe then I could do it. Why is it only once that I have the opportunity to make up for it? The Gemaran Sukkah suggests that the Midrash on Beshalach tells us something even stronger. That Pesach Sheni, this holiday of a second Pesach, of the ability to come and again bring the Paschal Lamb, sit down and eat Matzah and Maror and, 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 and uh, together with it, that whole mitzvah is in zechut, in the honor, in the merit of one person, of Yosef, Hasadik of Joseph, Joseph. Why Joseph? Why Joseph related to this mitzvah? Seems simple because from the from the words that we see, the people come to Moshe, and the, the question the Gemara asks, who are those people? And it brings three opinions. But the opinion we pretty much stick to is the opinion it was those people who were carrying the body of Yosef. 
the, those people carrying the body of Yosef, remember that Yosef tells the, his brothers before they leave, don't forget to bring my body up. Moshe Rabbeinu himself brings the body of Yosef up from the sea where the Egyptians buried it, and they're carrying the body of Yosef through the desert. We say, Hayam Ra'aviyanos. The sea saw and the sea split. The question is, what did the sea split? So what did it see to split? It saw the coffin of Yosef. It saw Yosef who went against nature, so the sea would go against nature. Now these people carrying the coffin of Yosef, they say, we lost the opportunity. We're not pure. What can we do? Can we have another chance? And Hashem says, yes. The next month you'll have another chance. Now what's interesting is that chance, the rabbis tell us, is for men. Ladies are excluded. Some opinions are that the ladies, if they want to, they can't. But there's no obligation. Now remember, men and women are both obligated in Korban Pesach. The only time everyone has to come, including the ladies. But if, God forbid, I had a funeral, or God forbid, I said that the, we had the, the donkey had the flat tire. If something happened, the man has an opportunity to get it again, but the lady doesn't have a requirement. Why? Why? Remember that one of the mitzvot that if we don't do, one of the two mitzvot I said that if we don't do, the punishment is karet, cutting off, heavenly death. It's a heavenly death sentence. It's when our souls go sizzle, sizzle, stone, toast. But for women, don't worry. Some say, like I said, they could do it voluntarily, but why not required? Why not command a lady to? What if she missed it for some reason? Remember, the punishment is karet, all required. Another thing, Pesach Sheni, is not for the Sipur. It's not for the Sipur, it's not for the congregation, it's only for the Yachid, it's only for the individual. Most opinions say, if the majority of B'nai Israel misses Pesach, then there's no makeup, there's no chance. The holiday is for individuals to make up. Why not all of Am Yisrael? Imagine this year, while we were all sitting and hiding in our houses, Erev Pesach, the Mashiach shows up. We're obligated to bring Korban Pesach. The problem is we're all Tamer, we can't do it. So we say, okay, Pesach Sheni, we're all going to bring our offering on Pesach Sheni because, you know, they open now by the Kotel. I got an email this morning from a friend who said it was the worst 37 days of his life because he prayed every single day, every day Vatikin at the Kotel. He couldn't go 37 days. And finally today he was able to go again and pray by the Kotel. So we would have had go back up to Harabayit, slaughter our, our, our goats, Pesach Sheni? Nope. It's only for the Yachid. It's only for the individual, not for the whole Kahal, not for the whole congregation. Now we all know the story of Yosef. We know the story of Yosef HaSadiq. We know how it's described in the Torah. Some of us got to go to Broadway and see Joseph in the Technicolor coat. Some of us got to see DreamWorks. We see the movie about Joseph. And, uh, and, and, and we all think we know the story. Yosef is, is, uh, is a servant to Potiphar. Potiphar is the one who bought, brought, who bought him. And Potiphar has a wife. And this wife has a crush on Joseph. And she's bothering him day in and day out. And Joseph was a pretty, pretty boy. And only 17 years old at the time. 
that it was one day and there was an Egyptian holiday and everyone had gone out to worship with the exception of Joseph who was in the house who wasn't going and with the exception of the wife of Potiphar who claimed that she wasn't feeling well. Now she's home alone with Joseph and she seduces him. And Joseph says, hey, I can't do this to my master. He's been unbelievable to me. I cannot do this to my master. No. He refuses. And the Pasuk tells us, Vayazov, Vayanos. He, he, he went away. He ran out, Hachutza, outside. We know the story. She grabs the tunic. He's gone. She accuses him. And they send him to jail. We all heard it. From the Gemara, the rabbis tell us when Yosef was getting ready to sin, he was with her. He was going to sin with her. And above the bed, he sees a mirror. And inside the mirror, he sees his face, his reflection. And within his face, within his reflection, he sees his father. And his father says, don't do it. Don't do it. The rabbis tell us that his father tells him there's going to be a Kohen Gadol, a high priest. And the Kohen Gadol is going to wear a special garment and there's going to be two stones on the shoulders. The Shoham stones. Black stone of Yosef. And these stones are going to be engraved with the names of the tribes. And Yosef says his father, if you sin, your name will be erased. From that image of his father, Yosef Barach. Yosef runs away. Comes a Midrash, one you probably didn't hear. And this Midrash says that after running out, Yosef had second thoughts. And Yosef came back into the room. What? He came back? What happened when he came back? And why would he come back? Remember, the wife of Potiphar was very convincing. She tells Yosef, Joseph, this is not about lust. This is about something much higher spiritually. She said she saw in the stars that the two of them were meant to be. Meant to be together. And from their union, kings would come. Kings would come from their union. She says to him that I need to be yours here. And if we're together, we will be together in Olam Haba. And Yosef was very intuitive. And he saw that there was some truth in what she was saying. And he was ready to commit the sin with the wife of Potiphar. And all of a sudden, this Midrash tells us that Hashem himself appears to Yosef. And Hashem is holding within his hands in this vision, the Evan Hashtiah, the foundation stone of the world. And Hashem says to Yosef, Yo, Joe, don't do it, baby. Don't do it. Because if you do, I will destroy the world. If you sin now, I will destroy the world completely. Only then, after a second revelation, first was his father, then Hashem himself, does Yosef really flee. And only then does he leave the garment in her hands. Comments the Arizal. It's amazing. Something we can't understand. Yosef HaSadiq left. He ran away. And then he came back. How is it possible for Yosef to come back? Maybe we in America 
We're used to television. Boy meets girl. Boy loses girl. Boy goes back to girl. That's the story in the movies. We could understand. People would say, oh, he's 18. Raging hormones. Of course he's going to go back. But after the revelation of his father, how could he go back? And the rabbis go further and say, no, this really wasn't Yaakov. This was really Hashem appearing to him the first time. And Hashem appearing to him the second time. And why is it necessary? This is Yosef HaSadiq, a level that we can't even imagine. Why is it necessary for Hashem to come and say, Yo, Joe, don't do it. Yo, Joe, don't do it. Why is the temptation so great? It's hard to understand that this lady, this wife of Potiphar, could have such an influence over Yosef. It's hard to understand that the only way to stop it was Hashem himself coming and saying to Yosef, don't do it. We're going to reveal parts of the story. We're going to simplify the sword if we can. We all know that we come from Adam and Chava. Chava, Eve, was Adam's wife. Together they're in Gan Eden. We spoke last week of his love for her, his attraction to her. And then we have the sin. We have the sin and Hashem comes to Adam and He says to Adam, Adam, what happened? Why did you sin? We said last week Adam should have said it was my fault. Instead, what does Adam say? Hashem, you know what? It was the wife, Chava, that you gave me. If Adam was supposedly so great... How does he fall so quickly to refuse not only to accept the sin and the responsibility, but worse, to throw the blame onto Hashem and onto his wife? He's only a few hours old. Where does he get such chutzpah to speak this way to Hashem? The Arizal tells us something that maybe we didn't hear. That in fact, Adam was created with a partner. Adam was created with a wife. Adam and his first wife were together. They met. They had a big fight. There was an issue of Shalom Bayit. Right after creation. There was no mediator. No lawyer. What did she do? She ran away. She left him. She ran to the shelter. It's very hard to do this with the, the wife next. <laughs> She ran to the shelter. She runs to a hidden place. This first wife runs away from Adam. I want nothing to do with you, Adam. Hashem sends three angels to her. Come to talk to her. To convince her to return. Please, the angels tell her. Return to Adam. Hashem made you to be his partner. And what does this wife say? I'm sorry. But on the advice of my lawyers, I'm proceeding with a divorce. The angels ask her, what are you going to do? She says, I'm not worried. I'm leaving Adam, but I'm going to marry Satan. I'm going to marry Sam. We're going to have children, Shedim, and they will become the enemy of man. The angels told her, but every day Hashem is going to kill a hundred of your Shedim children. She accepts it. She's not going back to Adam. Then we read the story. Everyone else has a partner, but Adam has none. He says to Hashem, what do I do? 
And then Hashem is going to make for him a new partner, Ezer Kenegdo. She's not coming back, the first one. So he makes the second one. Adam responds, Look, Hashem, I lost my first wife. The second wife made me sin. She did it. It's your fault. One of the reasons that Adam Harishon separated from his wife, we know that after the sin they separated for 130 years. But I guess he couldn't divorce twice because uh, divorce twice, no one's taken him back. And after he leaves his wife, he tells Hashem, you know what, Hashem? Give me back my first wife. Give me the first wife back. Give me back my real wife. He says, I'm sorry, Hashem. I'm sorry, he says to him. You want to find her, find her. But she went with Satan. She's giving Shedim that are battling your children. I'm going to tell you, you ever hear of an ugly divorce? This is the ugly divorce. And from that moment she disappeared, Adam Harishon, in essence, lost the other half of his spirituality. He lost the other half of himself, and the greatness that was Adam starts to recede. His glory, his hod, starts to go down. He loses some of his glory. A person's glory comes with partnership with their wife. Darizal tells us further that a person looks different. Their face looks different before they sin compared to after they sin. Here, Adam is a completely changed person. Even though that first marriage was never consummated, even though it was failed, even before it was failed, before it was, was, was begun, Adam falls after the sin, he falls after losing, and after the sin as a second part. The Midrash tells us that each of the Shivatim, each of the children of Yaakov, each of them was born with a twin sister. Reuven has a sister, Shimon has a sister, Levi has a sister. In fact, Benjamin had two sisters. There was one child of Yaakov who was born without the twin sister and that child was Yosef all the others had the twin says the Arizal that Yaakov that Yisrael Yaakov Yisrael loved Yosef because he was Ben Zekunim writes Rashi because he, they look the same what do you mean they look the same we know from the Midrash when Yaakov goes to sleep and he has the dream on the ladder the angels see the face of Yaakov and they think he is Adam Harishon. Because Yaakov had the same face as Adam. And Yosef had the same face as Yaakov. Therefore, Yosef also had the same face as Adam. Who is Yosef? Yosef, who overcomes, who does not sin, who does not fall, he becomes like Adam before the sin. He becomes like Adam even before Chava. And who is Mrs. Potiphar? Who is the wife of Potiphar? She in fact is the reincarnation of the first wife of Adam Harishon. Therefore she comes to Yosef and she says to Yosef, I am your real wife. We are meant to be together. And it's true. But Yosef says, it may be true, but right now you're a married lady. You could have married me, but you married Potiphar. 
Yosef is having the test twice. First the test of Adam, then the test of Yosef. There's a terrible conflict. He wants to marry her. Why? Because Yosef is Adam before she left. And this lady is the wife he should have married, and therefore this test happens twice. Twice he thought, perhaps there's a way to marry her. Perhaps there's a way to be with her. Perhaps there's a way to take her back from Satan. Perhaps in doing this we could fix mankind. Perhaps in doing this we could fix everything that went wrong. Perhaps in doing this we could fix the fight that originally occurred between Adam and this first wife. And because of that she left him for Satan. And because of that she's producing enemies against man. This is the thinking that Yosef has. And Hashem says, no, it doesn't work like this now. The Arizal says, the brothers come to Egypt. How is it possible for brothers not to recognize their own brother? I don't care how many years go by. I see kids I was in class with 40 years more. I still could recognize them. How do they not recognize him? How is it possible? Especially, you're going to tell me, he looked exactly like their father Yaakov. How could they mistake? How could they not see him? The rabbis say that they didn't recognize him because of the hod, because of the glory, because of the glory that took over the presence of Yosef. He took on this hod, this Adam pre-sin, pre-marriage number two. This is the power of Yosef, and they couldn't recognize him because he was in fact this glowing different person. He ruled the world. He was the Parnas, he was the supporter of the world. Why him? Because he was responsible by holding back to save the world from being destroyed. The question is, is this the reward for not touching? For not touching the wife of Potiphar? We have to remember, how did Yosef end up in this place in the first place? How did we end up in the swamp? We ended up there because they sold Yosef. And who were the ones responsible for selling Yosef more than anyone else? Who were the ones responsible for trapping Yosef? They were the two brothers, Shimon and Levi. When Yaakov sees the bloody garment, he says, Tarof Taraf, surely he's torn apart. It's not that he sees his son torn apart physically. He sees that he's going to have a huge test with the wife of Potiphar, who was in fact the first wife. Those two are the ones who caused it. Shimon and Levi. This, the Gemara tells us, is why we eventually ended up in Mitzrayim. We escape Egypt, Vizchut Yosef. We bring the Korban Pesach. We bring the, the, the lamb. We slaughter the lamb. We slaughter the goat. Why? We smear the blood. Why? To remember smearing the blood on the garment of Yosef. To remember what happened to Yosef. To remember why we ended up there in the first place. And remember Adam. Before his sin, he has no clothes. Just like Adam before his sin. What do the brothers do when they throw him in the pit? They strip him of his clothing. He escapes with no clothes. He's Adam before the sin. The people come to Moshe Rabbeinu. 
And they say, Moshe, Moshe, why are we going to lose out? Because we're carrying the bones of Yosef. Where's Moshe? He's learning Torah. Why is he learning Torah? Moshe is making a tikkun for Yosef. Because Yosef did not get to learn Torah with his father for those 22 years, Moshe is sitting and learning. Yosef ended up in jail. He ended up with the test. Who's responsible? Shimon and Levi. Who's Levi? Moshe. And who's the one who's going to be a tikkun for Shimon? None other than Shimon Bar Yochai. Bizchut Yosef, we have Pesach Sheni. Says the Midrash, it's a second chance. It's a second time. We have an opportunity to come back to the glory, to the hod of Adam HaRishon. We have to know that this week we begin the fifth week of the Omer. This week is the week of hod. This week is the week of glory. And this glory is Bizchut Yosef. Yosef who saved the world merits this aspect of Hod. This week we have an opportunity to open up, to reach back to Adam HaRishon before the sin, before the marriage to Chava, before it all fell apart. The Zohar says this week and the following week, for three weeks, we have a responsibility to prepare for Shavuot. Shavuot is called Yom Hashishi. It's the day Hashem completed the world. Extends the glory from now, Pesach Sheni, through Shavuot. We begin now, this fifth week. This is in Zechut Yosef, but also in Zechut of Rab Meir Baal Hanes. We all know the stories of Rabbi Meir Baal Hanes. His yard site is also, Pesach Sheni, tomorrow night is the yard site of, Shimon Baal, of, of Meir Baal Hanes. It begins with Hod tomorrow night. Next Tuesday night and Wednesday is the yard site of Rav Shimon Bar Yochai. Rav Shimon Bar Yochai, who fixed what? He fixed the sin of Shimon in selling Yosef. Just like Moshe fixed it for Levi, Rav Shimon Bar Yochai fixes it for Shimon. Rav Shimon Bar Yochai comes out of a cave. He's been in the cave all of these years. And what does he do? They look at people working. And they say, how can you work in this world instead of learning Torah? And with their eyes, they burn them. Why? Because he's coming out to be metaken. He's coming out to fix. His study of Torah is to fix the waste of Torah, the bitul that was lost the 22 years that Yosef was taken from his father. This was Shimon and Levi selling Yosef. The secret of these weeks is the students of Rabbi Akiva, Akiva ben Yosef. Akiva ben Yosef. He taught 12,000 pairs of students. He taught them all the secrets of the Torah. Then everything was lost because like Shimon and Levi, they lacked the respect. Moshe gives the Torah to fix Levi. Shimon bar Yochai gives the sword of the Torah to fix Shimon. So we have the Simcha of Lagba Omer. What's the Simcha of Lagba Omer that we're going to have next Tuesday night? Because the students stopped dying? What do you mean the students stopped dying? Of course they stopped dying. They were all dead. 24,000 students die, stopped dying, all dead. So we should celebrate? We should mourn. The Simcha of Lagba Omer is that Rabbi Akiva could find five new students to take over 
and bring Torah to the rest of the world. Who were those five students? Rabbi Meir Bal Hanes, whose yard site is tomorrow night. Rabbi Yehuda Bar Eli. Rabbi Yossi, who we see all the stories in the Zohar. Rabbi Elazar ben Shamua. And finally, Rav Shimon Bar Yochai. And through Rav Shimon Bar Yochai and these students, Rabbi Akiva would bring back, Akiva ben Yosef would bring back all that was lost. He would bring back all of the secrets of the Torah that Yaakov taught Yosef. All that was lost because of the separation. And here we have Moshe and Aharon sitting and learning to compensate for the disaster of the selling of Yosef. Hashem didn't want to tell Moshe, you're responsible. You're Levi, you're responsible. So those people come and they say, we took care of the body of Yosef. We want another chance. Because Yosef prevailed in the second chance. So Hashem gives them another chance. The secret of Yosef, the test. Yosef is a man, he's an individual. Just like Adam is an individual. And therefore Pesach Sheni is not for the community, it's for the individual. It's the special treatment from Hashem. It's the time for us to reach back to the glory, to the, to the hood of mankind, which is the glory of Hashem. We have to recognize that beginning this week, there's a tremendous potential of light in the world for us to access. This is the hood, this is the glory of, the, of, of Yosef of this week. Because we're back at the glory of Hashem, of the time before the sin. And if you remember Adam, so to say, he resembles Hashem. Yosef resembles Adam. His father gives him a coat, just like the clothing of the Kohen Gadol, which we read about. Hashem appears as Yaakov. He threatens Yosef with the Shocham, with the stones of the Kohen. You're not going to be at the stage of the Kohen Gadol where you should be. You're not going to be like Adam in Gan Eden before the sin. We have to look at the Perashah we read this week. Pay attention. Look at the Haftarah we read this week. Pay attention. We have to reach this stage of Kohen. We have to reach the stage of Yosef who reaches back like no one else. Aside from Moshe in a way that he brings this glory down, it's different but similar. We know there's a story the, the Gemara tells us about Rabbi Akiva. He sees a man, Nata. His face is filled with light and glory. He says, why? He says, I overcame a, te- a test. I overcame temptation. We could detect in a person's face this hod, this glory. We reach back. We say in the last Berachan Amida, Ki be'or panecha natatalanu. Because of the light of your face that you gave us. This week we begin hod. We go all the way to Shavuot to reach the level, to reach the stage of Matan Torah. When we return to the level of Adam before the sin, before the golden calf, this is our potential these three weeks to attach to this glory, to attach to the Hod, to swallow this light, to allow it to enter us, to become new, to draw the power of Yosef. We could change ourselves, we could return back. This is the simple understanding of the Arizal's explanation of Pesach Shani. But my rabbi continued and he said, we have to remember, there are 70 faces of the Torah. So let's close with one more. 
something to impact us in our interpersonal relationships. Let's think about Yosef and his life. We have this handsome, charismatic young man. He's alienated by his brothers to the extent that his own brothers want to kill him. They throw him in a pit with snakes and scorpions. Ultimately, they sell him into slavery. Yosef is isolated from his family. He's on his own. He's far from home. He's far from his greatest influence, which is his father. But despite these challenges of being where he is, despite being in prison, despite having nothing, no one, he rises to greatness in Egypt to become the second most powerful man in the strongest empire in the world. The brothers find themselves in Egypt. They're appealing to Yosef for food. What could Yosef have done at that moment? This is sitting on him for years. He could have really let them have it. When he finally reveals himself to them, he could have put them in their place. He could have denied them assistance. He could have killed them in retribution. What does he do instead? Yosef gives his brothers a second chance. He revisits the relationship and allows them back into his life. Pesach Sheni Bizchut Yosef in the merit of Yosef because courageously, bravely, with tremendous humility, Yosef introduces us to this idea of second chances in interpersonal relationships. Too many siblings stop talking to each other because of some incident. I often refer back to a movie. There was a movie called Avalon. Two brothers, Jewish brothers, come to America from Europe. All they have in America is each other. They love each other. They support each other. And they spend all their holidays together, especially Thanksgiving. Then one Thanksgiving, the family is all there. One brother's late. The kids are pestering. The family's growing restless. The grandchildren are running. But the brother says, I have to wait for my brother before we start. No, don't worry, Pop. It'll be fine. They sit down and start to cut the turkey. Before they even eat, the brother walks in and he says a line I'll never forget. You cut the toiki without me. You cut the toiki without me. Let's go! Grabs his wife and runs out of the house. They never speak again. There are siblings not talking today for less. What a lesson from Yosef. Perhaps it's for this reason when this group came to Moshe to complain they said, why should we lose out? Because we're tamer, because we're far away, because we're not connected. They want to feel connected. They want to unite themselves with the community. After all, how did the slavery in Egypt begin? It was by discarding one brother for another. Despite being scorned, what did Yosef do? He gave his brothers a second chance. Now those who carry his coffin want that second chance. I want to close with a final story. I remembered this story when I was watching the movie on Sunday night. And it's interesting because I thought of it and Rabbi Morty Proust, who was the rabbi in the Atlantic Beach Synagogue, he texted me today and he referred to the same story. The version, I went online to search for a version and I found one from Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg. He tells of Rabbi Herschel Schachter, the father of Rabbi J.J. Schachter. I got all my kids here. These are all their rabbis. Rabbi Herschel Schachter served as a chaplain in the Third Army's Eighth Corps during World War II. 
He was the first U.S. Army chaplain to enter and participate in the liberation of Buchenwald in 1945. It was April 27, 1945. It was two weeks after the camp was liberated. Rabbi Schechter got all of the prisoners together and he led them in a Pesach Sheni Seder. Hundreds of individuals who were Tebi'ib Nefesh Adam, who had direct contact with death, who were denied the opportunity to celebrate Pesach, not only that year, but for years before, they gathered to experience some level of a Pesach Sheni. This incredible Pesach should have been, could have been, sounded like the first original Pesach Sheni. Just imagine for a moment a barracks filled with people. Standing room only, survivors in Buchenwald making a Pesach Seder. We actually have a picture of the event. Shiku Smilovic, in his autobiographical memoir, tells the following about that day. All Jews were invited by Rabbi Shachter to attend services and to eat matzah, since it was Pesach Sheni that day, the second Pesach for Jews that couldn't observe the holiday in the proper time. Rabbi Shachter brought matzahs, distributed them to everyone. Rabbi Shachter started to deliver his sermon, when suddenly he was interrupted by a fellow prisoner. When he heard the rabbi say, We know what you have gone through. This man screamed and said, No one, no one can know what we went through unless he or she was there with us. Only they can say, I know what you went through. He continued at the top of his voice with quotes from the Torah, quotes from scriptures throughout Tanakh. He was no ordinary Jew. He spoke with tremendous authority. And screaming, he yelled out, why did God forget about his children? And we were devastated just because we are Jews. He said, before we make a blessing and eat this matzah, we want to deen Torah. We want to bring God to court. We want to judge the Ribbono Shalom. Why Hashem? Why little children? They didn't have a chance to sin. Why so many thousands of true Tamidei Chachamim? Scholars who were sitting and learning day and night. He told the rabbi, you could take your matzahs and go back to America. I don't want your matzahs as far as, as, far as I'm concerned. I'm not interested. The rest of you sitting here, do what you want. Do what your hearts desire. Rabbi Shachter did not interrupt the man. He let him finish. He moved his fist towards his heart. And he said, Chatati, Aviti, Pashati. I have sinned Lefanecha in front of you. He turned to the man. He says, please, please accept my forgiveness. The man rest up, raced up to the rabbi. He embraced him for a while. The rest of us just stood there in silence. Tears did the talking. After the scene, we decided to have the matzah anyway. We made a blessing, and I'm sure that blessing was heard in heaven by the angels, and every angel answered, Amen. Yosef gave his brothers a second chance, despite what they had done. Years later, Hashem gave Pesach Sheni to those who requested it in His merit. And on April 27, 1945,
the survivors of Buchenwald observed Pesach Sheni, and through it gave Hashem a second chance, and simply never too late. Sitting home during these weeks filled with worry, but enjoying family, many of us may feel we, like Yosef, were hurt by others, or perhaps we realize we have hurt others. A family member, a co-worker, a friend, a neighbor, even a spouse or a child. Says Rabbi Goldberg went on to say, I would like to argue that it is unlikely anyone here has been hurt more than Yosef, and yet he gave his brothers a second chance. We can too. Don't think a relationship is ever damaged beyond repair. Don't sever a connection forever. If the circumstances are right, give others a Pesach Sheni, give them a second chance. And like the incredible heroes of Buchenwald, even be willing to give Hashem a second chance. I would argue nobody has experienced greater suffering and nobody is entitled to write off Hashem more than Holocaust survivors. And yet that faithful day in 1945, hundreds of liberated prisoners observed the Pesach Sheni and were willing to give Hashem a second chance. You were disappointed by Hashem, felt abandoned, hurt, ignored. That is legitimate and those are valid feelings. We're sitting home. We're unsure. We're concerned. We're afraid. Hashem. What's going on? But the idea of Pesach Sheni is to not give up and try again. And with that in mind, let me close with a final thought. Something else happened Pesach Sheni, which is awesome. Everybody knows that we crossed the Red Sea and Amalek came to attack us. But they don't know the day that Amalek came to attack us was Pesach Sheni. So Amalek came to attack us on this day. And what does Amalek represent? Amalek represents doubt. Today we're sitting at home, we're filled with doubt. Why, what, how, confusing. It's a battle. Yet when Moshe raises his hands during the battle with Amalek, we're winning. Why are we winning when he raises his hands? Because we're looking up to Hashem. Esa enai, I raise up my eyes. We're scared. We don't understand. We're filled with doubts. The message of Pesach Sheni is just like Pesach. Have faith. Hashem says, sit back. In Egypt, we sat back completely. In Amalek, we needed to battle. But the battle is an illusion. Our efforts serve to hide the true miracle. Pesach Sheni is a second chance. It's to overcome Amalek, overcome doubt, have faith. Know that Hashem is saying, I'll take care of you. Don't worry. Have faith in me. Reach out to me. I'll take care of the rest. My prayer for all of us is that we be zocher, that Hashem should take the rest, that we should be saved from this plague, that the mourners should be comforted, because only Hashem could comfort them, that the sick ones should quickly be healed, because only Hashem could heal them, and that all of us be protected and be blessed, to have a happy, healthy, peaceful, and prosperous life together. Thanks for joining tonight. Bezrat Hashem, we'll see you again next week. This class was originally recorded May 6th, 2020, right when we were at the beginnings of uh, COVID. It's dedicated in uh, this year, 5783, in memory of Daniel Ben Lea Daniel Safti, who passed away so suddenly this week. 
Just to say a quick thing, uh, if you looked in the dictionary under the word Sadiq, you would see Danny's picture. This guy, I prayed with him for the last decade and a half in the mornings, and he was just, everything about him was so special. Yeah, he never shows the drivers to